This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Here at Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Reality Check Radio. Flick us a text, 2057. Send us an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. You will recall, I'm sure, through all the horror of COVID and the pandemic and the daily rules and the podium of truth and the pronouncements and the total madness, there was a story that even by the standards of the time seemed extreme and bizarre. And I felt we never got to the bottom of it. Well, we're about to. And that story is of a man and his family who were put under arrest, house arrest in the Tokelau's, because they wouldn't take their medication. And I remember reading this and thinking, whoa, even by New Zealand standards, that's pretty extreme. And it never sort of in the news got resolved for me as to the background, as to what happened and why, and how it panned out. Well, we're in luck because joining me this morning is Mahalino. Mahalino, I'm sure I mispronounced your name and I sincerely apologize. If it's any help, I've got a medical condition called dyspraxia. So I mang- I mangle my words a little bit, and it's no disrespect to you. I do my utmost and my best. Uh, but good morning to you, sir. You're doing very fine, Rodney. Oh, good you're morning. kind. You're yeah. kind. I, I play the victim card. For many years, I was just always abused for mangling oh. people's names. Um, but then I found out that I do actually have a condition. And no matter – the more – the funny enough, the longer – I think about it and concentrate on it, the sort of worse it gets. It's one of those little things. But welcome to our show. It's wonderful to see you well and healthy. And you were under house arrest in Tokelau. Yes. Well, because you wouldn't take the COVID jab. That's that's correct. Okay. We're going to go into a background in that because, unfortunately, I know very little about the Tokelau's, except I know there is a place called Tokelau, and I want you, first of all, to tell us about your life and your family and about the Tokelau's, and then we'll get to this circumstance. So where were you born, Mahalina? I was born in Nukunonu Atoll in the Tokelau group. And then we, um, our parents brought us here um, to live in Wellington in around about 1968. Wow. And so the Tokelau's themselves are Atolls. Yes, yes, correct. Um, The three atolls, Atapu, Nukunanu, and Pakawaho. And how many people live on them? Uh, Overall, around 1,500. And what do they do? That's an interesting question. Um, We 
their economy um, is basically from uh, fishing licenses uh, that I know of, and a big chunk of it, of the the aid, comes from New Zealand. Okay, so there's fishing and there's aid, and it's an I can't imagine it. It's 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 totally cut off. Presumably, can aeroplanes land, or is it all by boat? There is a, um, a shipping schedule uh, currently of um, weekly or fortnightly boats from Samoa. Um, one would have to get catch a plane from New Zealand to Samoa, up here, and then a boat, overnight okay. boat to Tokelau. And the Tokelau's have, how long have people lived on these atolls? <coughs> um. <coughs> I'm not sure about that, but if I hazard a guess, according to the genealogy uh, given to me by my father of around about 14, 15 generations, averaging out 25 a generation, uh, about 500 years. And where did they come from? A good question, again. um, Our language belongs to the Samoic group. Yes. So we we um, understand Samoan, uh, Tuvaluan, <clears throat> um, and a few other Polynesian around the region. <clears throat> and so we believe and think that the Tokelauans made it to the atolls under their own steam. They weren't brought there by colonizers or anything. They actually made it on their own steam and set up life there. That's correct. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. Historically, um, we read that um, uh, British, British, um, European anyway, Ships uh, called by, and as they do, as they did back then, in the for some centuries ago, and and found our islands inhabited. Yes. Wow, what a story! And so, presumably, too, a lot of people like your mother and father leave the Tokelau's because they would like their children to be schooled, maybe university, see the world, have a wider opportunity. And that was your parents' choice, and they moved to Wellington, did you say 1968? Yes, I remember that. I think that was the year of the Wahine. Yes. Yes. Yes, we were here by then. So you were about 12 years old. Yes. 
So you have a good memory of being a child in the Tokelau's. Indeed, I have. Would it be just the most amazing childhood living on an atoll in the Pacific? I, I, every time I think about it, if my parents had asked me if I wanted to come to New Zealand, I would have said no. Yeah, because it would have been like amazing. And of course, back in 1968, I guess you would have had no TV, I'm guessing. Correct. You might have had a sort of BBC World Service radio service, which some lucky islander might have. Yes, yes. And when the boats came, they might drop a newspaper off. Um, every six months, if we were lucky. <laughs> that's that's an extraordinary lifestyle back then, isn't it? Because no, no telephone, no communication. So, um, presumably, there would be some contact with the outside world through uh, a radio service, but not for it would be for emergencies and weather, presumably. Correct. It wouldn't be for yeah, just for chit. You just didn't do a yeah. chit chat. So you came to Wellington. Um, what it, it must have been, first of all, looking back on it, a huge culture shock for your mum and dad to find their way in this cold, windy city. They did very well. Uh, on them. Yes. What did they do? My, <clears throat> my father worked in the railways yes. in Wogan. Wellington. <clears throat> um, in fact, uh, right up to when he retired. My goodness. The place was shut down. My goodness. And how many siblings did you have, Mahalina? Um, when we came, we had, uh, there were six of us. Another but three were born here. Is that nine children in total? In total, yes. My goodness. And uh, were you Christians? The whole island were brought up Catholics. Catholic. So that would have been a support structure for you upon arriving in Wellington. Yes, yes. Um, if I can correct myself, the, the atoll of Nukunonu. We're all Catholics. Catholics. So um, we forget these days how much support church groups gave people back in the 60s. And Pop would still today if you're a member. But uh, it's hard to imagine absent the church, a family moving to Wellington and coping, but with the community, you just had that blessed help. Yes, I remember well um, uh, one particular nun named um, Sister Veronica uh, helping us with our uh, schoolwork after school. Yes. Mm. And could you speak English when you were 12? 
broken, very broken. Mm. And you went to a Catholic school? Uh, no. Well, I first attended Pitoni uh, Central Primary yes. School. Yes. Before we shifted to Porirua. Yes. Oh, that was Pitoni, sorry. We mm. lived in Pitoni for f- nearly a year or so. Then we were shifted to Porirua because uh, there were no four-bedroom houses in the hut. Mm. And there were nine kids. <laughs> With nine children some years later, yep. And so tell me quickly about your life. You're growing up in Wellington, you're Tokelau. Did you enjoy it when you first moved here or did you hate it? Um, <clears throat> the first time I um, embarked out of the plane in Auckland, it was a nice, beautiful, sunny day. I almost ran back to my seat when I hit the the freezing temperatures at the door. Um, and from then on, I just had to uh, harden up. Um, yeah, uh, it was really a shock to the I system. Bet. I bet. Yeah. I mean, it would be like going forward in time too, wouldn't it? In a way, yes. Like cars, buildings, skyscrapers, highways, motorways, trains. The train ride, the train ride from Auckland uh, after the air flight was uh, was a washing machine ride. I didn't know where I was. Amazing. It is like we imagine a movie to be, you know, because in a funny way, your experience can't be repeated now because I imagine if you're living in the Tokelau's now and you're 12 years old, you're pretty connected to the rest of the world. Yep. Whereas what's that, 40, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, totally unconnected or virtually unconnected as far as everyday living going, no connection. My goodness. So what did you do in your life, Mahalino? Well, having um, come to New Zealand at that age, uh, I was probably put back a year in primary school. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> moved to Porirua, um primary school there again for a year or so before I attended Peru College in 1971 <clears throat> um, until uh, three, three years. My mom uh, took me out of Porua College uh, after my school third year um, and moved me to VR because I was not paying attention. <laughs> moved you to where? I didn't quite catch that, Mahalino. Uh, to VR College. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. 
um, uh, Catholic school in in Peru. Um, <clears throat> so I, I left college in my twentieth year because I was basically put back two years in yes. <clears throat> up to secondary. Went straight into uh, Victoria. Um, for about three and a half years, only completed half my degree. Yes. When a friend, cousin of mine, um, offered me a job in Polygram, Miramar, I loved it. I loved Polygram. It. Polygram, if you remember. I'm thinking the, records, am I right? Yes, vinyl. Oh, God. We worked out, ladies and gentlemen, before we went on air that uh, Mahalino is younger than me by eight days. So the funny thing is, we are two old men reminiscing about similar things. We're the same cohort, of course, vastly different origin stories. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't born on an atoll. And so polygram, vinyl records. Well, and of course, this was just music was going nuts at that time. Correct. Yeah. So you had an exciting job working at polygram. I, uh, compared to studying, uh, I was in heaven. Um, and did um, you get cheap records? I love music. Yes, we did um, indeed. Um, <clears throat> it's hard. It's hard to imagine now. Like I can remember my older sisters getting a, you know, we had a radiogram, and my older sisters getting like a Beatles LP, and it was the most treasured uh, <laughs> thing that you had. And I remember getting Simon and Garfunkel's "Bridge Over Troubled Water" LP. And like I'd hug it and I'd listen to it and put it on the record player. And it was like the most value. If there was a fire in the house, it would be the long playing record. And, and like I literally had two, it would be those two long playing records that I would have rescued, nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> it came to that uh, <clears throat> a few times. Um, I forgot to mention um, one of my friend, best friends in Poro College introduced me to the music um, that he had anyway um, to Stevie Wonder. Oh, and I, I love that that record from that um, from the era, <clears throat> as you can imagine. Yes, oh. I, I'm with you. With and you you'd put music. on a you'd put on an LP. And you'd play it, and you'd be totally transformed to another place. It was heavenly music. Yes. And mum and dad would come storming in. Why are you playing that record? <laughs> that racket? That's not music. <laughs> they are screaming into the microphone. That's all they're doing. Oh my goodness! Yeah, my um, mother. My mother famously said to me, "I don't mind the Beatles. I just don't like it when they yell." 
<laughs> ah, dear. Working oh. at Polygram. Oh, my goodness. So was Polygram making the records or were they coming in from somewhere else and you were distributing? What was Polygram oh, doing? They were manufacturing. Really? Yeah. Um, but I got that uh, opportunity to work in the vinyl section of Polygram. But when I got a full-time job, I was in the cassette making. Oh, whoa. Section. Cassettes. <laughs> yeah, those little ribbons. C60s, C90s. C60s, C90s, yeah. I, I should... Uh, I should say, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Reality Check Radio. I'm talking to Mahalino from the Tokelaus. He was the man and his family who were under house arrest. And we've got talking by way of introduction to the story. And we've got sidetracked into music and cassettes and vinyls. But I want to sort of understand uh, the circumstances of this house arrest. And it seems to me we have to sort of do the build-up, but your story alone, without the house arrest, is so wonderful because you worked at Polygram, <laughs> which would be a dream job. It was indeed, Rodney. And then what happened? Uh, well, <clears throat> um. Let me catch myself. Um, well, I, I I went through several jobs uh, after two or three redundancies, um, places closing down. I ended up um, truck driving yes. for L.V. Martin yes. in Naranga Gorge. Yes. For 12 years, I was there. Um, <clears throat> Uh, by then, <clears throat> I had we had started a family. My wife Anna. Mm-hmm. Um, um, got a mortgage, as you do, um, and you work hard. You work hard. Pay really the mortgage. Hard. Tell yeah. me, is Anna from the Tokelau's too? Yes, Anna was born in Nukunonu as well. Uh, she. The, her family came separately. She was three years old then. Um, and they moved to, uh, they were sponsored by the, the, the government and moved to Rotorua, where they lived for several years before they moved down to Porirua. Where you met. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and yeah. And the Tokelauan community in Wellington and New Zealand, did it maintain itself as a community and keep Tokelauan traditions alive and have get-togethers and dances? Did that happen? They did and do, um, indeed. Um, they're, they're, they're a very uh, tight community, I would say. Oh, good. Yeah. And if you have a meeting, like, I'm thinking, what would it be like Scottish people meet and they drink and, and wear kilts and play bagpipes and sing old Lang Syne and, and do do funny dances? What do Tokelauans do? Yes, we 
well capable of entertaining ourselves when we meet. Um, I must mention after college, coming out of college, there was an organization called the Mahutanga Tupulanga Tokelau. It's a youth sports and culture um, uh, group that um, uh, gave the opportunity for um, our youth to, to not wander off by themselves, but keep into the community. Nice. Um, yeah, doing our culture thing and playing sports, like rugby, and and, and not lost to yes gang um, life or isolation, but part um, of our community and correct. being looked out for. Wonderful. Did Indeed. you go back to the Tokelau's at all, Mahalino? Um, I, two of my, our children and, and my father went back in the end of 99 when I, uh, left, uh, LV Martins because I, I, I was determined to go back and study. Mm. <clears throat> Get your degree. I went to, I attended Fitirea for uh, five years doing a visual arts degree equivalent diploma. Um, and then I did a teaching diploma. Good for you. And, and went back to teach in Porirua College. My goodness. <laughs> and, and so you were the slow learner coming back. Uh, um, yes, the that difficult... is a marvelous story. Yes, I loved. I, I actually wanted to go back. How um, old were you when you took up teaching? My fiftieth year. My goodness! And how many children did you and Anna have? Five. So you worked really hard. I had to, eh? <laughs> yeah. And did you love teaching? I loved teaching in the in the first 11 years. Mm. Then <clears throat> in my 12th year I was torn between my wish to go back to Tokelau and and continuing and <clears throat> And so we, I made this decision over the the December break. Basically, I just said to Anna, "Let's let's do it." So um, I had told um, the college that I would come back. Then I had to go back in January and reverse that decision. It was really hard, but. We what year? What what year was this? Um, the end of ninety of twenty sixteen. And was so, my life. A, 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 and you made the decision that you would go back to the Tokelau's to live or to visit. To live, my we goodness. sold a house. 
we sold the house and and just went for it. <clears throat> and the kids? Um, the three older one, oldest ones, uh, two were in Melbourne. One was um, still in Wellington, uh, living their own uh, own lives. We took the our two youngest, Koloi and Gypsy. Uh, they were twenty five and fourteen then. Wow. And what was the draw for you to go back? That's a very good question. I had put off this gnawing wish for for probably a decade that I just had to go back. Uh, I wasn't sure why, but um, I finally made the the big move. Was it a physical? place thing, a spiritual place thing, or was it your family back in the Tokelau's or the community? Or was it the whole lot? All the above. Mm. And how about Anna? Did she follow you or did she go with equal enthusiasm? I'd say she was 50-50. Mm, you're that's, a tough man. That's better than 60-40. Yeah. <laughs> um, I need to correct. Uh, our youngest was 10 then. 10. And one was 10. 25. And what were you planning to do in the Tokelau's when you got there? Um, that's a, another good question. I was hum and hiring about teaching there. Mm-hmm. or doing something useful anyway. Mm. Uh, so for you, it was very much in 2016 a one-way trip. Pretty much, mm. yeah. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're talking to Mihalino. Uh He was along with his family, under house subject to house arrest in the Tokelau's uh, because they wouldn't take their medication. Um, and we're just building up to a young boy who left the Tokelau's age 12 to windy, cold Wellington, which must have been a horrific shock. Made good in Wellington, worked hard, uh Struggled at school catching up, but got through, worked, then went back, finished a degree, taught, actually taught, taught at his whole college. What a wonderful role model you would have been, Mahalino. And then had that gnawing need to return home. And at the beginning of 2017, which is where we're up to, with two of his children and his wife, he returns to the Tokelau's. What was that like? <clears throat> it was the best feeling for How me. wonderful. Um, I, I, um, I felt for, for our children and Anna being uh, conflicted. If 
if that's the word. Yes. Um, but I was loving being embraced by that warm breeze instead of a the nippy, chilly one. Yeah. And because oftentimes we go back to favorite places of our childhood and the reality isn't the memory. And that big tree is really just a little weed tree and things like that. But when you returned, you weren't disappointed. No, I was not. Um, So I was looking for an opportunity to be helpful. um, And one of them came up very soon, um, and that was to represent my mother's, uh, one of my mother's families in the local council. I honestly did not seek to be the representative for the family. Uh, I didn't feel I, uh, I could, but um, after the family agreed, when we met, um, I was willing to, to stand in until they find somebody else. And this is the council of elders, I guess, that run the atoll. Correct. The Taupulenga. And how many councillors are there? If I remember right, the number I heard was 36. 36. And are they elderly, older, or can they can they be young? There were um Younger ones, um, probably mid-30s. Okay. Or younger even. Men and women or just men? Men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly men. And presumably, you know everyone on the atoll? The older ones. Yes. Um, the The... The forty-year-olds, um, I, I might um, remember when they tell me their parents. Yes, and you had been away for nearly fifty years. For nearly fifty years, uh, I must add, uh, Rodney, that um, a lot of them were my family. Yeah, like um, uh, second course. cousins and yeah. so on. Yeah, of course. And did it mean, I mean, I'm thinking that in the Tokelau's, I just can't imagine, I can't imagine coming here from the Tokelau's, but then living here for 50-odd years and then returning, you must have had the whole culture shock in reverse. The place did change, yes, and especially for Anna and Glory and Gypsy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So being on the council, was that like a full-time position or did you do other things? Um, 
we met uh, about twice a week. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, and um, without my knowing, when I arrived, I was told that I was eligible for the old age pension. <laughs> so you could live. Yeah, at 60. <clears throat> uh, that's when you are entitled to that. Could could I hop on a plane and a boat and arrive in the Tokelau's and live? Now, Rodney, um, yeah. you'll be in in the queue with me. Um, it's, okay. It, they've since changed some rules. I, I'm not okay. up to date with it yet. Okay. Now, let's get into the meat because this was all going along, 2017, you're on the council, you're getting your old age pension at 60, which is still a very young man. You've got your wife, you've got two children, you're in the Tokelau's, it's warm, it's the place of your ancestors and parents and grandparents and all before. And then what happened? And then it happened. Um, in 2021, there was, uh, as you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, stories of uh, of a great pandemic came through. Um, <clears throat> the news um the the internet was was uh working in the islands and at that time i was i had been aware before we left to Tokelau. obviously i was besides my study i was also um investigating certain narratives on the net yes regarding uh, certain individuals. Um, one of them, um, Mr. Gates. Yes. <clears throat> uh, and all the um, big issues of corporations um, and, and universal organizations. Mainly so the, you, you were down rabbit holes. I was down many rabbit holes. Before the rest of us knew there was such a thing. Um, I, 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 I didn't know that it was coming, but I knew certain corporations and individuals in them that were probably not doing what they say they were doing. Mm. Yeah. So, so you were um, you were awake to I was what, very, hap what happened before it even happened almost. I was very wary, yes. uh, cautious, even coming there. Um, In 2017. Um, yeah. My goodness. I, I, have, I have to mention, Rodney, um, before this, um, 
e- event came about, Anna and I were, were raising eyebrows on the island about asbestos mm-hmm. and Roundup glyphosate. Yes, indeed. So asbestos was common on the island? It wasn't common. Uh, there were particular um, buildings that were identified. And, and this had been going on for years. And there was Roundup being used on the island? And being sprayed um, liberally around the islands with, with little care, safety. Okay, got it. So, and you were raising eyebrows because in this tight-knit community, you had turned up having had 50 nearly years in New Zealand and you were saying, I'm not sure about spraying this Roundup everywhere. Yes, and <clears throat> I, I, when when I realised that the Taupulenga, the, the council, were all for what was going on, I requested that the plot, our family plot that we went back to build on, not be sprayed. And from then on, um, I was a target, probably. Wow. And so in a tight-knit community, unbelievably tight-knit because it's sitting in the Pacific Ocean, and everyone's related to everyone else, not just neighbours and not just in a small community, all interrelated. Yeah. The need for general agreement on everything would be very high. It'd be a very conforming society. Absolutely. And here you were in Anna coming in from the outside you sitting on the council and asking questions. Yes. So you were already making the decision to stand alone outside of what the community thought for what you thought was true. You summed it up really well. Hmm. Did you find that a tough decision to come to? Yes and no. Yes, because it was I thought it was the right thing to do. Um And, yeah, that statement answers both yes and no. Yeah. So we then hear of this great pandemic sweeping the world and you're on a council on one of the three atolls 
And then what happened? <clears throat> Prior to that uh, final meeting I went to, I went and, and spoke to the local commissioner and then the I had I had a, a a chat with the health director. Now just tell me this, I'm confused. We have a council and we yep. have a commissioner and a health director. Is the commissioner what's the commissioner? Uh his role um is basically um uh, that of a a, a judge. Okay, and and they work with the council, sit atop the council, adjudicate the rules. Who appoints them? Are they from New Zealand? Is this is this Mr. Ross Dern? No, no. Oh, okay, that they. Who is the commissioner? I mean, what what? How do they get that job? Uh, I would say there'll be. They would be nominated. Yes. Being an elder and um, okay, yeah. So they are a adjudicator, and um, they work presumably alongside the council. They're in the council. They're in the council. Okay, and the health director is a doctor, I assume, or someone with medical um, training. At the time, she was actually a nurse. A nurse. Uh, got some medical training. And they are part of the administration, and are they on the council or report to the council, or how does that work? Um, the, 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 the deputy director is the one uh, um, that was in the council. Got it. So um, you went you went to see the commissioner and is it the deputy or director of health? Yeah, both. Both the director both. and deputy director of health. Yes. And, I have spoken to. And what did you have to say? Um the the my conversation with the commissioner was very interesting. Uh because um, towards the end, <laughs> he he was he was very, um, shall I say, cagey about my approach to him. He was, I don't think he felt comfortable with the topic I was bringing up. He suggested that I. Go next door to to the Department of Health and and see the the people there, which I did after him. But I I, I was assuming that he he was very uncomfortable with what I was bringing in, and with him mentioning not to tell anybody that I had seen him. Whoa. And what were you what were you raising with him? Well, that this um 
that this story, the the narrative of a, uh, that that the uh, prime minister of New Zealand was was pushing, was not what she said it was. Amazing, um, amazing. This is before the vaccine, before the rollout. Uh, before the was it the Canterbury that yeah delivered the thing yeah the Canterbury um, oh yes so right from day one of the pandemic when everyone was being scared out of their britches yep you were going to see the commissioner and saying this is I don't believe this to be true. Yeah, and, I can understand. I can understand their discomfort because, boy, I couldn't. I'd raise that with my closest, dearest friends, and they'd look at me like I was mad. I even requested to the health department. I requested um, getting ivermectin, so I wouldn't have. My family wouldn't be jacked. Yeah. Um, that fell on deaf ears. Um, so right from the get-go, you were raising it. Everyone was very uncomfortable because what we came to know as the podium of truth had spoken and had spoken all around the world. And you were already had a target on your back as difficult troublemaker not going along with the herd and raising difficult questions that no one particularly has an answer to. And so this was just adding to the angst of the atoll and the community. Yes. That was very hard um, at the time, especially for, for my family. The, the embarrassment I may have felt was nothing compared to <laughs> to um, to my fear for for the sake of basically my family in Nukunon. That's a, probably everybody there. Mm. Were you immediately shunned, or did that come later? On the same day that I went in to resign, they they would say that I was removed from the council. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I was not given the opportunity to say my I had written something to read out. I was not um, given the opportunity. I was basically basically shut down in the meeting and asked to to wait outside while while they do whatever. After an hour of waiting, I I left. I went home. Um, a while later. Um, some police came and requested that uh, 
Anna I and Koloi, who was an adult then, were summoned to, to back to the council meeting, uh, sat in front of the main um, main uh, table and basically told uh, that we would be house arrested. For what reason? For not agreeing or going along with the council decision that everybody were to be jabbed. Okay, so we've moved on from the jab has arrived now in the Tokelau's? Oh, yes. Um, that was some, it was about a, a week or, or so before the, the rollout. Okay. So I've just, I, I skipped a bit there. Just help me here, Mahalino. Yeah. Because yep. when New Zealand was panicking and we were going into our first lockdown, you were already speaking out to the commissioner and director and deputy director of health that you thought this was overblown and not true. Correct? Yes. yes. And at that stage, you stayed on the council. Yes, yes, for and, a week or so. Oh, only a week or so. Okay, and then, and then, the jab turned up, and you refused it. Just help me. I'm trying to uh, see in New Zealand, we might be on a different timetable. So yeah. in New Zealand, what we locked down in the Mar March, I can't even remember when the jab arrived, but it was like a year later, if you follow me. And I'm just finding myself in the conversation with you and the Tokelau's that the fear of the pandemic occurred and then the sort of jab seemed to have arrived the next week. In New Zealand, there was a big gap between the two. The, the timing I remember is we were house arrested in August. And the, the, council, the final decision of the council to house arrest us was on August the 2nd. Okay. Well, you'd have that one right. So the three of you were house arrested, and that was simply because there are no jails. Yeah. And so you were essentially arrested, but to stay at home. Now, let's just unpack this, and I'm sorry to do this to you, Mahalina. I, I, I don't want to. I'm uh, just trying to understand it. Your reasons for not wanting the jab were what? Well, 
there was no evidence up to that point that this jab was truly for for health reasons. Mm. None. Uh, I, I have been following quite a few professionals that were um, removed, shall I say, from their yes. high-ranking positions as physicians. Very, very credentialed people were speaking out. Very highly credentialed. And what they were saying rang true with me. Mm. So you're looking there, you're suspicious, you think the pandemic's been overblown, you're, like me, seeing credentialed people saying, don't understand this, you're not feeling any great risk, and Mm. you're thinking, this thing's been rushed, so I don't think I'll take it. Simple as that. And you are arrested. Yes. Did you regard that as punishment or as a mechanism to isolate you for the purposes of you'd get COVID and not spread it? Were you quarantined or punished? I I feel that we were punished. Yes. So what was house arrest and the Tokelau's like? How does that work? I, I, we were quite um, fortunate. The, the house plot of my wife's family that we were living on is on the lagoon side, right next to the lagoon, basically. And and just one side of, of the plot was um, facing the village or the road, the path. The other two are basically, the other three are basically private. And and we we I I had no um, I had no reason to 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 believe that we weren't allowed outside. Mm-hmm. Some people may have thought that we weren't allowed outside at all. I didn't really care. I I went outside anyway. My family went out because mm-hmm. the the, the Basically, I thought that the the council had no, um, because they had no uh, protocols about being house arrested. We were probably the first family that have done that to that extent. So um, we just pushed the boundaries of our house arrest. We went outside um, at one time uh, for a few weeks or a month. The, the word was we weren't allowed to, to go, even go swimming. But then a letter arrived sometime 
maybe four weeks later, months, that we were allowed to, to go swimming. <laughs> in the lagoon that was uh, not 15 meters away. Goodness me. So um, under house arrest, you were taking your opportunities to go for a walk. You could go um, swimming. But presumably you wouldn't stop down the street and talk to neighbors. You were just isolated uh, we we were isolated on the plot okay so the when plot, you say yeah. you'd you when you would go out it would be to the lagoon for a swim and you'd go outside on your plot you wouldn't go beyond that correct my goodness and that was august the 2nd 2021 i'm guessing yes yes and so did you talk to anyone? One one incident during our house arrest, maybe two to three months later, um that when when all of us were, were house arrested, including our I think fourteen year old uh, we had no communication, no no police or official from from the government or the council um, bothered coming to check on us. I actually walked out one evening because I was really mad at the the mayor or Pulenuku. I walked to his house that was a, not more than a hundred meters away, asking for help for um, for getting uh, shopping done for us. He he received me. Um, he was holding a. a a beer bottle in his hand. He was drinking with somebody and wouldn't even receive my request. He just told me to turn around and go back home and not even listening to what I was asking. That really got to me. And that's about when we started getting our story out. On the net, I was not a social um, I, 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 I was I did not have any social um, media media at the time, but because of where how we are, we were i I listened to Anna and went on the net and got our story out. So you had internet and a computer and you could connect to the outside world. Yes, we just had a phone. Yeah. And you were the total pariahs. 
totally excluded from your community. Yes. And presumably there's no COVID at this stage in the Tokel House. None. And presumably the Tokel House aren't willy-nilly letting people in. Uh, just uh, who they allowed in, like um, essential workers mm. um, and a UN rep turned up. So how did you how did you eat? We we had by then <clears throat> our, our eating habits had changed by then. Um, we were making do with eating once a day, most days. We were okay with that because that was a, a conscious effort. Um, but um, th there were times when, when, especially for our young ones, th that I thought we were, because there were a lot of uncertainties for us at the time. Um, we were lucky when our cousin, my cousin turn, turned up and did some of our shopping. Um, but these were all non-official services. Well, it was a very, very deep commitment. It's one of the fascinating aspects, thinking back on it from my experience, was I got into a debate on the most trivial thing here in New Zealand. I wasn't allowed into the local open-air pool. And because I wasn't allowed in, my son, who was of an age that he needed adult supervision, could never go swimming. So his two older sisters could go for a swim because they didn't need adult supervision, but he couldn't go swimming, and I couldn't supervise him. And I got into a debate with the chief executive of the council. And his attitude towards me was summed up by him saying, all you need to do, Rodney, is get the jab. <laughs> and to him, it was the simplest thing in the world and a total no-brainer. Just go in, get the jab, and you can go to the pool. But to me, not just I had a concern about it, but the whole nature of being bullied into yeah. it made me determined not to get it. And I was stubborn. And so to get the jab, to me, became the biggest deal in the world. And there was no way. But you've got it. Like mine was a trivial issue you've got it big time and so the mayor is looking at you and thinking Mahalino just get the jab 
<laughs> well, just get the jab. It'll take a second. It's not like I didn't drop dead. You'll be right. But you, right. you don't. We don't see it that way, did we? We never saw it that way. It was a big deal because it was so unknown. And when you read about this thing delivering mRNA to your cells and manufacturing, having your body manufacturing this protein you're starting to think, I don't think so. I don't think that sounds a good idea, given that the disease itself is relatively trivial, that the efficacy of the vaccine was never demonstrated, and it was a brand new substance. So it became a huge deal to us. And obviously, a huge deal to you but you can sort of understanding, understand, you know how you meet people and you say, oh, I'll take this pill. Oh, okay. And they take a pill. They never think about it. And so other people were getting the jab without thinking about it. Yep. And they'd be looking at you thinking you're peculiar. Yep. But you're stubborn. You're saying, you, you know, I understand it perfectly. You're saying the more you try and push me into this, the less <laughs> – <laughs> I mean, like, try and convince me that this is a good idea, not bully me. When looking back, Rodney, um, and probably during it, I, I, I thought exactly how you, you described mm. um, that official telling you that it's okay. Mm. It was a very big deal. Um, Very big deal. And I had to teach my kids who were going to school that if anyone approaches them, because you didn't know how this was going to go, and give to give them a jab, they were basically to kick them in the nuts and run. Yep. Because yep. it was such a big deal to me, and I didn't know the lengths that they would go to with kids. Yes, yeah. we so, we actually we actually um, told our daughter not to go to school. Yeah, when we were house arrested. Yeah, yeah. So you had the internet. What are you doing on the internet to tell your story? We, uh, well, Anna basically had the connections on on social media and she she answered uh, a question by uh was i think a, a health forum yes uh asking how 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 the the so-called COVID was, was affecting us and she just put it out there that we were house arrested and then uh, then our, our, our friend then uh, Tracy um, contacted her and, and they uh, interacted our story and and this wonderful lady would not let our story go 
she just um bent over backwards and 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 let our um story be heard and who was this lady are you able to tell us yes uh tracy and mark winther is, is the family that um that we're with uh at the moment they, they've basically helped us um get our story out not just that she got us into contact with with really helpful people um the other was was George Williams in Samoa. He was a huge help with um, um, facilitating our, our parcels oh, coming through. And um, were these people you knew before, Mahalina? No, Rodney. We had nobody that would help us. Our families here basically abandoned us to the whims of the council. My goodness. My goodness. And as you lose your nearest and dearest, complete strangers. Yeah. Came to the fore. Step in. Yeah. And give you everything. Isn't that something? Yeah. The, the the only family that we had helping us were our um our own elder children. Yes. The two in Melbourne and one in Wellington. They isn't were doing that, isn't that a story? You're at the far, far end, the extremities of treatment meted out to those who didn't take their medication. But all of us who refused our medication experienced this to a greater or lesser degree and that friendships and family members fell away. Not that they just disagreed with you, but they shunned you. And then complete strangers would support you. And you almost had a change of friendships overnight. Not almost. We did. Yeah. This wonderful lady just wouldn't let us our story go. She to quote her, she said, How could I not do something? And you're staying with her now. Yes, she's. Uh, yeah, till we find our feet. Um, My goodness. They're, they're and so Tracy was responsible for getting your story out that I read about it in the paper that um, got picked up on social media here in New Zealand. Yes. Um the 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 platform that that helped us initially were was Talanoa Sao. Um uh 
um, Billy T before that, um, and uh, Daily Examiner through Talanoa Sa'o. And then Liz Gunn picked it up. Great. Um, yeah, all those wonderful personal heroes of us, of ours. So um, the story's being told back here in New Zealand. Even someone like me down in central Otago mm-hmm. are learning of it. And you remain under house arrest. So what happened next? Well, amongst that team that got around for us, Rodney was a wonderful uh, law team. Um, uh, We couldn't have done it without them. You would know that Katie uh, was right there in the middle. She was probably the the spokesperson and the big mover in the group. They yes, well, I've got I've got to know Katie now. Yeah, and how wonderful is she? She's brilliant. Brilliant, beautiful woman. They they put something together that was enough to basically uh, it was basically an ultimatum to our council on Nukunonu to release us, or else it would go further um, to the to the UN. Uh, human Rights Tribunal. Mm. And it ended up, um, yeah, the council had to release us. It was it was a wonderful feeling. Um, the The rumor started, of course, the village found out that we would be released before we did because there's nothing coming straight to us um, directly. Uh, We heard through uh, certain visitors coming around that we're still brave enough to to come around um, to tell us that. So we just waited patiently to see if it comes about. And we heard that the council um, agreed uh, with about a, an hour to go of, of the deadline. And following that, we we were all summoned to the council. It wasn't enough for them to just release us. They had planned to bring us to in front of the whole village. They invited the whole village for this occasion, not to be, um, not to, to give us freedom, but to really dig in to embarrass us. 
Mm. Rodney, one of the best victories in my mind is turning up to that planned meeting for our release on my own. Why? Because sitting there and having them ridicule us, well, me, I was, I was thinking I was really happy that none of my family were there with me. They had four chairs there for the rest of us, and some were really unhappy that it was just me turning up. They wanted all of us to be embarrassed and ridiculed in front of the whole village. I was sitting there on top of the world, um, a million miles away from what they were trying to say to me, and I just took it. Goodness. You can imagine. What was the date? That was September the 21st, uh, 2022. You had been under house arrest for 13 months. Nearly 14. And they had to release you because Katie and her team had threatened legal action because you were unjustly detained. Yes. And the council realised they had to stop. But rather than say, just release you, or release you and apologise, they brought you before not just the council, but the whole town to belittle you and humiliate you and further degrade you. Yep. But you said to your wife and daughters, I'll go, you stay here without knowing what they were planning. How long did that go on for? Oh, uh, at least an hour. Mm. I remember right. You would feel like you're back in ancient times. I think maybe it was a safety mechanism, but I was conscious. I could hear what they were saying. I, I know who stood up and said something, but my mind was feeling, um, was also feeling sad for them. Yeah. They were my family. Um, and it was just sad 
seeing them as as victims of a, a big lie, hmm. basically. And you they weren't, the, and you weren't the victim; they were. Yeah. We have being Christian. We have the image of Jesus dying for us and suffering on the cross and forgiving his tormentors. Yeah. In the greatest sacrifice of all time. And you were living that lesson. Not to compare, but to say you were feeling for them. And funnily enough, that's how I feel for my friends and family because yes. I've got a lot of anger for the political leaders yeah. who stoke this stuff. And you and I and our listeners were sort of awake to this possibility at least. But so many of our friends and family just believed whatever they were told. And if they were told to be scared, they'd be scared. If they were told to take a medication, they would take it. If they were told to hate on their neighbours, to hate on their workmates, to hate on their family members, to dob them in, they would. And there seemed an inability to abstract themselves from the moment to look at what was happening. To do that to another human being. Arrest a family unlawfully for nearly 14 months. To be forced to concede that it was unlawful and wrong. To bring them before the council and the town. And to denounce them. You left the meeting. Then what happened? We left the meeting. I left the meeting. Yes. Uh, feeling quite lighter. Um, uh, the weeks following that, uh, I wasn't quite sure what we would do. I, Anna kept saying, we, we need to go. We need to go. This was in September. And I was thinking, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave. Um, Did you right. not want to leave because that would be them winning? Yes, in a way. Yeah. But it wasn't. I, I I would blank out 
and not worry about what people think. Mm. Because um, you're now in these weeks, you're now no longer under house arrest, so you can walk yeah. about the town. Yes. But everyone must be hating on you. That was the, the impression, of course. Um, um, my family probably um, felt it worse than me. Mm. I, uh, I felt for them. I kept saying, I, I don't want to leave. Um, but I, will, I was conflicted about what was at the time, uh, still an uncertain time. I knew my, my family wanted to leave. Mm. And some weeks later, it dawned on me that I, I couldn't let them go without me coming with them. Um, I didn't want to stay there and hear whatever happened to them here and, and I'm sitting there um, alone. So um, I made the decision to to come with them and I'm glad I did. So after, after telling um, certain people that I would be back. <laughs> You're Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I will be back. Tell me, was there any problem returning to New Zealand unvaccinated? When we heard that that we would not face any problems, um, we, we made the move. Mm. I need to uh, make it clear, Rodney, the people that got around us to help us move here, um, be it financially or with prayers, good wishes, we couldn't have done it easier for ourselves without them. They, there are a whole string of names I would like to mention. Please do. Uh, I know I'm going to miss some. Mm. I apologize. But um, Katie's team of lawyers, um, all the media uh, from Talanosa'o, um, Billy T, Kahika, um, uh, Daily Examiner, Talano Sa'o, um, Liz Gunn, Liz Gunn, um, Chantal Baker got on board. Um, gosh, um, and a good doctor, Dr. Rene DeMonti. We want to thank you so, so much. Mm. I'm feeling a wee tear in my eye, Mahalina. And so 
you arrived back in New Zealand on what day? February the 25th. This year? This year. And there was a kerfuffle at the airport. You do tell. <laughs> do you know what happened? We Little did we know. We were so happy getting off the plane <laughs> safely, <laughs> walking through customs, and little did we know what was happening outside. Mm. We, I remember walking out, and there wasn't, um, the, the, the people outside were, We're facing the other way um, because we were um, told Liz and, and Jonathan will be there and some supporters. They were there, but they were facing another dilemma, unexpected. They were being detained. Uh, Liz and Jonathan were being detained. Um, our good doctor Rene was there and they were being roughly treated for wanting to meet what basically would become their family. They have helped us so much and we were denied that opportunity to meet at the airport, as families do. I'm sure there were other families with cameras just wanting to greet family and why pick on us? I cannot comprehend the, the logic of so-called authorities denying us their opportunity. Mm. The I wonder if you can, Rodney. The abuse continued. It continued. But that's when you know who your friends and family truly are. Yes. I must say, Mahalino, that is one heck of a story. It continued. Uh, it continues, Rodney. Um, just last weekend, we met up with Liz Gunn. Yes. And Jonathan and friends. And we had big hugs and probably a couple of tears uh, as family do when meeting. It was really heartfelt. Hmm. I think, Mahali, know that your wife, Anna, is a saint. 
She's my rock. Absolutely, she must be your rock. Because the stresses and strains that you have been put under I must mention, uh, Rodney. Um, yes. My my wife, before we left, was diagnosed with a um, neurological condition to do with anxiety and stress. She was on specialist medication, and it was I cannot imagine how hard it was for her. Mm. Is she better now? Oh, <laughs> under this environment of of a good community, yes, she is. Throughout the whole experience, did you ever doubt yourself? Or wonder whether you are making the right choice or think about changing your mind? Or were you the entire time resolute? If I if I wanted to give up, for me it would undo everything everything that I had decided to do when I made my decision to do what I had to do, mm. to be resolute. Thinking back, I think the council actually expected me to give up. Mm. Because those 14 months were long, but at the time, they stretched in front of you with no end. Yes. I mean, conceivably, you could have been under house arrest for the rest of your life. Correct. It wasn't like I'll put you in prison for three years. You were detained indefinitely. Indefinitely. Unbelievable. Now, you're going to have to help me here because I want you very slowly and very carefully to pronounce your full name because I will struggle with it and I I want listeners to know your full name. So tell us your full name, Mahalino. Mahalino Patelio. Mahalino Patelio. I'm sorry, that is such a beautiful name. Sounds like music. Now, what's ahead for you and your family now? What's ahead? 
is? We're looking forward to, as we know, it's, it's compared to where we came from, it's relative safety. We're still full of uncertainties in New Zealand as the world. But in a community of like-minded people, Rodney, as you can imagine the difference, mm. we are not alone. And isn't that a wonderful thing? It's a beautiful thing. Do you know, before COVID hit, I had become, I thought of as quite mythanthropic in the sense that I enjoyed my own company and being with my family, but not being about the people because I'd had a lot of that previously. But when COVID hit, I realized how much I needed people and their support because that enforced isolation of our lockdowns affected me terribly and also because it didn't make sense. And then <laughs> when I found my community, this radio station, these listeners, these yep. protesters, that river of filth. Man, it was just so beautiful and wonderful because it wasn't just people, it was wonderful people who stood for something. Mm -hmm. And my life has become, I think like yours, so much richer. Yes. Through this, Mahalino, you were raised a Catholic. Have you kept your Catholic faith? I would say I have kept at least my Christian faith. Hmm. I know what you're saying because the church of man sold us out a little bit. Back in the islands, I felt, I felt it. Hmm. I will never forget the churches saying, get vaccinated or don't come or we're not having a service because of lockdown. To me, that wasn't Christian. Mm. Because Jesus moved amongst everyone. Especially... Yes especially the sick and the outcast. And you were the outcast ground zero 
because you were outcast on a tiny atoll of 500 people. You were outcast from friends and family going back generations to whom you had returned after a long life elsewhere. You were mm. outcast and then belittled. You're going to go back? Now and then I would play with the idea, Rodney, is it's a, a strong pull on my spirit. Mm. I still feel for the community. One of the one of the best feelings for me coming here is not to be silent, Ronnie. I want to help, keep helping my community come out of their trance. And you, your heart is filled with forgiveness, isn't it? I'm sad, Rodney, about how my community, or our community, really, is basically sleepwalking. I want to help. Well, you are helping because you have shown a clarity and a strength which is a beacon and inspirational to us all. Thank you, Rodney. The um your name, Rodney Hyde, I remember vividly in the political circles before we left. Mm -hmm. um, but I have to say, the political circles was far, far away from my mind at that time. I wish I, I, I was more connected to it. <laughs> I, I laugh at myself thinking back. I, I, I did vote back then, but without even thinking mm. or looking deeply into the, the political spheres. But maybe that's a, a area I need to be more uh, versed on. 
Well, don't. Don't. Yeah. Feel too bad because I feel the same in the sense that looking back, I didn't feel versed on things. Mm-hmm. And I was altogether, I would say, too practical. I was sort of trying to look for solutions to particular problems. Yeah. When I feel that there is a deeper values problem, spiritual problem that is hard and too easy to ignore. And I had a very deep feeling when I stood outside our parliament buildings, just a foot soldier, in a protest movement. And I went to the protest movement, to the protest, just to be one of many. And... I decided that if need be, I could just lie on the road and block it. And others could be busy doing stuff, but I could be a block or lie on top of someone or just get in the way. But I looked up at that parliament that I know so well or thought I knew so well and could make it zing and make it work. And I didn't recognize it. And I didn't recognize the thinking behind the people that were standing on the balcony, the MPs, the speaker, whom I know very well. I didn't recognize or understand the journalists. I couldn't believe that we were denied an opportunity to speak even. Mm -hmm. And so... I feel like you. You know, it's like a a stranger to it. And again, we've all had that feeling because I'm sure you looked around your community in the Tokelau's and you struggled to understand. It's So when I look at politics and parliament and politicians now, I don't understand them. <laughs> it's the most peculiar feeling. And do you know what's even more horrible to me is I wonder what I would have been like if I'd been in parliament during COVID, you know? because I would have been in a different circumstance. You'd like to think you'd know how you'd behave, but I'm just not sure. It was so, yeah. such a strange time, such a strange thing. And um, But I love it that you are in a forgiving mood because that's what I need to learn. Because 
you've got more reason to be angry than I have. And I've got to get I've got to get past that and be forgiving. And um I will never forgive the bosses, if you like, the leaders, the politicians. I'll never forgive, I'll never forgive Jacinda Ardern. I'll never forgive Chris Hipkins. I'll never forgive Chris Luxon. I will never forgive David Seymour. I'll never forget whoever the Green leaders were. I never forgive them. And I will never forgive those Ashley Bloomfields and those that got up and spread the fear because there's no justification to frighten people ever. Even in the most scariest times, you look to leadership to calm you, to reassure you, not to put fear in. And the only reason that you want to scare people is to manipulate them, is to control them, is to be tyrannical. And it may be that Jacinda Ardern, Christopher Luxon, David Seymour, and the Greens, they themselves had become scared and were just transmitting that fear on. But even that is unforgivable because, you know, as a husband and as a dad, your job isn't to transmit your fears to your wife and children. Your job is to be strong and to reassure them. And anyone that aspires to a leadership position within a family, within a community, within a country, surely have to understand that. Mm. Otherwise, they're not fit. And so I can forgive, you know, all my friends and family, but I won't forget or forgive that leadership that failed us and through their decisions and actions caused such unbelievable suffering. Not of me, but of others. Of our elderly people that had to die alone. Mm -hmm. The inhumanity of it, of businesses that were destroyed, I can't forgive that. I'm sorry. And I'll always talk, I'll always discuss, I'll always be polite. But no, my forgiveness, and you're probably the same with those who spoke out against you and denounced you. I'm no saint. No, (laughs) we're not. Your wife's a saint, but you're my wife's a saint, but you and I, we're no saints. No, no, we're not. I'm not a saint. (laughs) you're, You're right. Saying it, it's really hard to forgive mm. these 
monsters. Mm. Um, yeah, and so-called leaders. Mm, so-called leaders. Um, Mahalino, I can't find the words to say how wonderful it has been yep. to talk with you this morning. You, as I said, are an inspiration and a beacon for us all. You have an amazing story up until COVID, which was fascinating, to learn about the Tokelau's, to learn about what it was like to arrive on a cold and windy day in Wellington in 1968, to succeed like you succeeded, to overachieve against the odds, to have a belief to be strong, to raise a family, to be a good husband, to feel the pull back to the Tokelau's, to go back to the Tokelau's and thinking, this is me. I'm on the council. I'm in paradise. I'm in the place of my ancestors and I'll retire. Then to mm. see something rotten happening and to stand against it and lose everything because you lost your freedom. And your family lost their freedom in the Tokelau's. They were arrested without indefinite, without end. And you stood your ground. It's been an honour to have you on my show. It's been an honour to be on it. Mm. I feel we are friends now, Rodney. We are friends. We are... I can't wait to hear your story. Oh, my story. Yeah, well, I wish I was stronger. Mahalino, I'm going to try Patalia. You say your last name for me one last time. Your first, your your name. It's so wonderful. My first name now rolls off your tongue, Ronnie. Mahalino. Patelahio. 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 It's wonderful. I will get it. We have been listening. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, to Mahalino Patal, I'll get it. What a wonderful man. What a wonderful family. What a wonderful story. Indefinite house arrest in the Tokelau's for not taking his medication and of the wonderful people who supported them and who set them free and look after them to this day. Send us a text, please. You can text us and I'll pass it on to Mahalino. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Send a text to 2057 or email me, inbox at radiocheck.radio. You may just want to reach out and send your best wishes to Mahalino and his family for enjoying him sharing his story with us. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Rodney. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio.